Well, <laughs> good morning, uh, church. Um, good morning from my living room. Uh, I don't know about you, but the last two weeks feel like a lifetime almost. So uh, to go from uh, the last time we gathered in person uh, two Sundays ago and um, all the new measures that we had to put in place to stop serving coffee and, and all the hand sanitation and, and stuff to then the very next week, uh, not being able to gather and a few of us being able to get together to um, uh, to kind of produce um, our, our gathering in one spot to now the next week, um, all of us really being advised to stay in our own homes uh, as much as possible. And so I hope um, that you're well this morning and not just well physically, but I hope you're well in spirit. And um, as we try to figure out what life is like temporarily, um, uh, uh, for sure, but uh, what could be for the coming weeks or months, and we're just not sure yet, uh, to what it means to wait on the Lord. And my prayer is that we would find uh, new uh, lessons learned through this. And so um, as we're sending out devotionals and things like that, um, this week I, I want us to think a little bit about how to pay attention to how we're feeling about certain things and uh, and, and to listen and to wait on the Lord. Um, we don't have to do that very often. And we're in a almost kind of forced uh, Sabbath period at the minute to, to wait and to listen. And so uh, my prayer is that that that, that will um, uh, the Lord might awaken us to, to some new spiritual rhythms and practices during this time uh, of, of really uncharted territory um, that we've been in as a church, but that the church globally hasn't been in, uh, has been in situations like this before. And so we walk uh, in the path of our brothers and sisters that have gone before us in that way. So with that in mind, um, let me just lay out a little bit of um, what we want to do with uh, our kind of teaching series over the coming weeks. So um, we were really meant to take the next chapter in our series. As you know, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. That's typically what we do is go through books of the Bible, big chunks of the Bible. Um, so uh, every now and then we'll do a more thematic uh, series. And so what we want to do, we were going to take this next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, over the next two Sundays and then start 15 on Easter Sunday, which really focuses on the resurrection. Um, but really, in light of everything that's going on, we want to be responsive enough to uh, to the world that we live in and not just act like oh, everything's normal. We're just going to plow on as if as if everything is uh, when it clearly isn't. So we're going to abbreviate um, our series a little bit. Um, thankfully, we're almost to the end, so we don't need to do much of that. But what that means is today we're going to take First Corinthians 14 as a whole. And then next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we'll begin chapter 15 into Easter, finishing 15, looking at the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And what great timing in God's providence of that. It'll be the weirdest Easter Sunday we've ever celebrated, I'm sure. And there'll be a lot of loss and mourning now, but I, I want us to think even to lean into that. Um, this might be a good Friday like none other <laughs> and, and might have us longing for uh, new life uh, to begin again in ways that it never has before. But what that means for this week is um, I'm not going to be able to say everything that we want to say in one sermon on chapter 14. Uh, I'm aware that this medium of listening uh, on a screen is different as we gather together, which probably means our sermons need to be a little bit shorter. Um, that might not happen today, but but going forward, because we're trying to just fit so much into this one. So here's what I want to do, because there is, even at the end of this chapter, a little bit of, in our time and age, what is a controversial um, uh, instruction of Paul. And people might have questions about that. 
Um, also, we, we didn't really get to unpack each of the spiritual gifts in the way that I, I wanted to do today. Uh, and, and so what I want to do is Tuesday evening, um, we will send out a link for a 7.30 p.m. Uh, Zoom that any of you um, can, can jump onto. And I'll do a, a short, maybe like 10-minute kind of introduction to some thoughts around spiritual gifts. And then just open it up for Q&A. And we can all be on there together uh, if you want to be. Um, you can ask questions, hear from each other in that kind of way. So we've never done anything like that before. It might be amazing. And we might learn lots of things from that. It might be me and one or two other people. <laughs> so who knows? But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. So this Tuesday night, 7.30, um, we'll send out a link. Uh, we'll have just an open Zoom for anybody uh, from East to, to jump on and do a bit of Q&A. And I'll give uh, just some brief kind of thoughts that, I, that I'm not going to fit into my sermon uh, today, if that's okay. So uh, I'm frustrated. You're probably frustrated with that a little bit, but we'll do the best that we can and try to uh, still be the church together, a family together, sitting under God's word, uh, being instructed by that, um, by the way it should shape our lives. And so, so let's just jump in um, to our um, text this morning. As Joy read for us, she read the first part of 14. We're actually going to finish 14, and uh, we'll, we'll just do that as we move through it. So we're going to really look at, Paul is, in some ways, he's wrapping up this section on spiritual gifts. As we've said, 1 Corinthians is a, a corrective kind of letter. Uh, so he's, this is in response to a letter that they've written him already. Um, this is maybe even actually the second letter that he's written written back to them. And he's trying to correct uh, some of the ways in which the church in Corinth has, has lost its way. And uh, we've seen that through the Lord's Supper. We've seen that through uh, their leadership and disunity in that. We've seen that uh, in a lot of lots of ways. Uh, and now we're going to finish up this section on what he's trying to correct around their understanding of spiritual realities or spiritual gifts uh, in that way. And so um, we're going to look at kind of three um, parts of this. The first one will be the longest, so, so don't worry. And the first thing he, that I want us to, to look at is Paul's instruction. He's trying to draw, drive them towards order, um, to, to have their gatherings orderly so that they make sense and so that they build up the body. Right now, their gatherings are disordered. It's chaos. And that disordered chaos is bringing confusion. It's bringing division, as we've seen. It's not communicating the gospel. It does not advance the kingdom. And it's not actually building up the church. It's doing the opposite of all those things. It's tearing down the church. It's not advancing the gospel. And so Paul's main concern is whatever gifts we have, whatever gifts you have, whatever gifts I have, how we use them, both individually and collectively, is as important. It, it's, it's as important because if we misuse our gifts, um, it actually takes away from what the gifts were given to us for. It changes the nature and the purpose of them. And so um, as we looked at last week, all of this is framed around our motivation for love. The Holy Spirit has given each, each of us gifts that we are to use to love each other to care for one another, to build up one another, to instruct one another, rebuke if necessary in that way. But all of these things done, um, motivated and shot through with love. And so again, chapter 14, verse one, pursue love. We are to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now he's singling out um, he's going to contrast a few things here and he's contrasting them because he wants to move from chaos 
to order. Look at uh, how he contrasts these things. In verse 2, for one speaks in a tongue, speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries into the spirit. And so they become of these tongues or languages, um, and the speaker wouldn't be able to understand what they were saying, um, and, and the, the hearer certainly couldn't without an interpretation in that way. And so he says, when we're doing this, we're speaking to God. It's our, it's our spirit that is praying, or our spirit might even be singing in the spirit, um, but it doesn't actually do us any good. Look at how he says in verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies gives instruction, um, reveals God's word, reveals God's heart, um, um, uh, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and for encouragement and to console or for consolation. And so we see on the one hand, there's one, no one understands what's going on. On the other hand, uh, this gift is being used to upbuild, to edify, to encourage for consolation. Again, the contrast in verse 14, uh, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Um, they were using this kind of gift of tongues um, of, of, of different languages uh, in that way that the Holy Spirit had given them. Um, but it was really um, to build themselves up. They were praying in the spirit, uh, might have even been, again, singing in the spirit, as we see him uh, refer to that later on in the chapter. But it, it, it's just really building themselves up. They're encouraged by that. Their spirit feels uplifted in that. But when they're gathered together, it's, it's an individual kind of practice. It's not doing anything to build up anyone else. And so he goes on verse five. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. So he's, he's not trying to denigrate the, the gift of tongues. He's, I, he says, I, w- I wish you all could speak in tongues. They'll even go on to say, I wish you could speak in tongues as much as I do. I speak more in tongues than anybody. But what does he say? Even more, his desire for them even more is to prophesy, which is what he says in verse one, especially that you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So if we're speaking in tongues, but it's interpreted, then in a way that becomes prophecy, doesn't it? Because it it then builds up. It's revealing um, something that was not revealed before. He's pushing towards this benefit in understanding. And this is what he goes on in verse six. Now, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Now, this is the apostle Paul. If the apostle Paul can come, He says, if I, the Apostle Paul, come with all the authority of of an apostle and I speak in tongues, but there's no interpreter there, how's it actually going to build you up? It's not going to actually be of any benefit to the church at all. The one, um, he he, he says then, uh, if I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. So the the revelation, the knowledge, prophecy, teaching, these, these things that are clustered together to reveal the wisdom of God, the will of God, the heart of God. He says those things are actually more beneficial. Now, again, as we've seen in, in previous chapters, Paul's not contradicting himself. He's not talking about one person is, is more valuable than another person. Um, it's the way that we're using our gifts. Some of these gifts are, are, are more impactful and, and beneficial in building up the church than other gifts. Um, and so tongues without interpretation is more, uh, Paul's going to uh, say to us, to be used uh, in private. Um, we, we might be able to pray uh, in tongues in that way. It might build us up privately, but it's not something for the gathering unless there's someone there uh, to interpret this as well. Um, as well. And he gives this interesting kind of um, metaphor of musical instruments, right? Even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp, if they don't give distinct notes, how's anybody going to know what's played? 
Um, it would be like me picking up a flute right now. I've never played the flute in my life. I have no clue how to play it. Um, but if I tried to play the flute for you um, or the harp, which is, seems like a complicated instrument to me, um, it, it, it was just going to be noise. Uh, it's just going to be sounds, but it's not going to be uh, a melodic kind of a beautiful sound. Um, whereas uh, someone like our very own Allie uh, Stewart didn't know she uh, played the flute. Apparently she plays it very beautifully. She refuses to do it. Uh, in, in front of anyone these days. But um, if she played the flute, it would be beautiful. Um, uh, we had a harpist at our wedding reception, and it was, it was beautiful to watch someone play a, compli a complicated instrument like that. Um, and so it was because there's musical notes that are in order, and someone who has the gift then to read those musical notes and to play the instrument in a way that actually um, is, is beautiful. And it's for what the instrument was actually designed and created for not to misuse the instrument in a way that doesn't actually benefit anyone else. Or he uses this idea of a bugle kind of being played. Um, so what they would do in battle, um, obviously this is before radio and headsets and communication, uh, they would have uh, a bugle uh, and he would play a certain kind of note or a certain kind of uh, a pattern and that would communicate to all the soldiers who could hear that they were to charge into battle or they would, this is now the time to retreat into battle or this is the time that they would uh, flank or do whatever uh, they had these kind of set patterns for. So they could communicate to a lot of people for their benefit. Uh, but if you just blasted out random notes on the bugle, the soldiers wouldn't actually know what to do. Um, it, it's not going to actually accomplish its purposes. And so he's trying to, again, correct their use of these gifts, that they would be able to use them in a way that would actually be beneficial for the church and would actually build up the church. Verse 9, um, again, the reason I think Paul is making such a, a sharp contrast between tongues in this chapter is because this is, this is where the church of Corinth uh, was put in a lot of their energy. If you remember in the opening um, chapters of this verse, we see them aligning along certain orders. Oratory was such a highly valued skill, a highly valued gift in Corinth. People making their living by that outside the church as well. Um, and then you combine that with kind of a pagan spirituality that uh, kind of had this dualistic view of humanity. And so you had your body and your mind um, but then there was this, this uh, dualistic kind of spirit and your spirit was, was much more highly valued. And so if your spirit could communicate through tongues, if, if essentially if your spirit could escape your body and mind, um, then it was, it was viewed as something um, highly spiritual you had connected with the gods in some kind of way. And this seems to be what Corinth has done. They've imported this kind of way of thinking into their gifts of the Holy Spirit um, so that this, these kind of ecstatic kind of experiences, um, or what seem to be that anyway, um, are being highly valued and prioritized. Paul says, but it's actually of no benefit. Uh, it's actually confusing to people as they're coming in. In verse nine, he says, if, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anybody know what is being said? For you'll be just speaking into the air. Um, you'll just be making noise into the air to yourself. He says, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And so here we see they're, they're eager for these manifestations, these spiritual manifestations, but they're not building up the church. He says, what I want you to strive to excel at is using your gifts in such a way that actually edify, build up, communicate 
the, the heart and knowledge of God. Um, they had this kind of dualistic uh, kind of way of thinking about the body and the spirit. And, and Paul kind of actually uh, leans into that a little bit. He says, uh, he says, if I pray with a tongue, my spirit, uh, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Um, he says, my, my spirit might be active, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do then? I will do both, he says. I will pray with my spirit, and but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind also. And so we don't want to make a mistake of going um, to these polar opposites where the spirit doesn't matter and where these just uh, minds on a stick uh, we're highly intellectual. Uh, we can parse every verse in the Bible. Um, it's all, it's, it's just the scripture and, and our brain and that's it. Um, I think we can make that mistake um, where we have highly intellectual churches, but there's no spirit. There's no, the spirit doesn't seem allowed to be active. Um, we have the Bible now. We don't need the spirit. Um, certainly I've been in churches like that where the Trinity seems to be the father, the son and the Bible and not the father, the son and the spirit who is, who is present among us. Even as we're scattered today, we are gathered together spiritually today, even though we're not gathered together physically today. Um, Paul talks about this all the time, though I can't be with you presently. I'm with you in spirit. Um, he's writing these letters because he can't be with them physically, uh, whether he's in prison or he's uh, a, a, a different part of his missionary journey, whatever it may be. He, he says, listen, I'm with you in spirit. And so uh, we don't want to make the mistake on the other side, though, either, where everything is is uh, is about the spirit. And we're not actually using and engaging our mind to engage the scriptures that the Lord has given us as his, his primary revelation. That's why we test the spirit by the word of God. It's the it's the filter by which we run all these other um, spiritual um, guidance that we that we feel uh, the Lord might be leading us in through his spirit, through uh, us collectively as a church. The scripture remains our final authority by which we filter all these things through. And so we want to be both uh, a, a church of word and uh, spirit, of sacrament and spirit, um, using our mind that God has given us and also our spirit. Um, and we want those things to be married together. And we see this uh, is, is motivated by building the church, but it's also motivated by Paul's concern for outsiders and unbelievers, because that's how the church numerically is built up. Unbelievers coming to belief. Um, people outside of the faith coming to faith in Jesus Christ, coming from spiritual death to, to spiritual life. But his concern is um, they're ignoring the way that the Spirit uh, has gifted us and to use them in the right way. So much so that if people come in, it doesn't actually make any sense at, at all. Um, in verse 16, he says, otherwise, if I give thanks with my uh, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words of, with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Um, and so this is. He's worried about outsiders not being able to understand the message. He says five words of instruction are, are way more beneficial than 10,000 words that don't make any kind of sense. Um, so Paul's concerned about the message of the gospel being heard and being understood um, so that those who are hearing it can say amen to that. Uh, 
he, he instructs them then in verse 20, as he has throughout this letter already to be mature in their thinking. Do not be children in your thinking, be infants of evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And then he's going to quote a passage from Isaiah. He says, in the law it is written, and he quotes Isaiah, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even though they will not listen to me, says the Lord, thus tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now, what does he mean by this? And Isaiah, as he's quoting, um, he, he quotes verse 11, for by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. Um, now, we have to understand the context of what he's, he's speaking about here. Isaiah was a prophet that the Lord told to go with a message to his people. But he said, you're going to go and they're not going to listen to you. They're actually not going to turn in repentance. They're going to ignore you. They're going to mock you uh, within that. And so if we read the couple of verses before verse 11 that he's quoting from um, Isaiah 28, let me just read 9, 10, and 11 to give us the context so we understand. So these people are rejecting Isaiah's message. And, and here's a quote from them to him. He says, to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those who are taken from the breast. Isaiah, your message is for kids. It's like a nursery rhyme. In verse 10, for it's precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And God is saying to them, I came to you with a prophet in your own language, and you've treated him as if he's bringing nursery rhymes to a child. Um, those who are weaned from the milk, is that who you're bringing this message to, Isaiah? Is that who you're trying to teach knowledge to? Those who, who are, are little children who've just been weaned off their mother, it's just precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. They're mocking the prophet in that way. And so God's response to them is, okay then, for by people with strange lips and a foreign tongue, the Lord is going to speak to you in reference to foreign nations then coming and conquering his people. It's by a foreign tongue that you will learn. You will learn through judgment rather than learning by my prophet in this way. And so, um, so prophecy in the Old Testament in this instance is actually, or tongues in this instance uh, that's coming is tongues of judgment from the Lord. It's not, it, it's, it's not for um, uh, uh, his people. And so foreign tongues then in the New Testament um, are, they're not for mission. They're not for unbelievers. They're to build up um, those that are already there. Prophecy and teaching is a thing that is convicting um, the outsiders and believers. If we see then in verses uh, 26 uh, through 33, again, he's concerned about their order. Um, Sorry, let me, let me just go back in verse 24. But if all prophecy, uh, but if all prophesy rather than all speaking in tongues and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The sign that God is really among them wasn't this uh, uh, everybody speaking in tongues in unintelligible ways. The sign that God was among them was the word of God being communicated clearly and understandably in a way that pierces the heart. Um, it's what Paul says the word of God does, right? It's like a two-edged sword. It cuts us to the very marrow. It exposes us. 
He says, this is what will cause people to fall on their face and worship God and declare that God is really in your midst. And so he's concerned then about orderly worship. He says, what then, brothers? And, and again, listen to the language of him. It's familial language. He's concerned for his family. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. So he says, listen, everybody's coming with all sorts of things. Let all these things be done for building up. So imagine if we were all to be able to gather together. Um, but uh, everybody came and everyone's like, hey, I'm going to teach today. No, actually, I'm going to do the lesson today. Uh, you know, you had five or six people turning up with guitars. Well, I'm going to lead worship today. And, and it almost turned into this just chaotic competing of voices uh, in this way. Other people with tongues and, and, and these kind of more seemingly more spiritual kind of experiences, these out of body, uncontrollable experiences. It's just absolute chaos. Imagine walking into uh, that kind of a, an environment as unbeliever. As an unbeliever, you wouldn't have any clue what was going on. And so Paul wants them to be ordered when they come together. He says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And each, and each in turn, don't be all doing it at the same time. I want each to take turn. Why? So people can listen. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church. That's an important phrase. Listen to that. If, if you have the gift of songs, he says, there has to be an interpreter. If there's not an interpreter, you have to keep silent. Um, now, now is not the time. Um, he says, it, it keeps silent in church and speak to himself and to God. You can have this, you can pray silently in that way, he says, but this isn't the time for everybody to be showing off this kind of gift. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And so, again, not, not everybody is going to, to, to get up and to speak. He says only a few. And then let others weigh what is said. The others that he's talking about there is probably, first and foremost, the, the elders of the church, um, those whose responsibility is to, to weigh what is said. But ultimately, it's for the whole church as well. Um, and they're to weigh what they say um, through uh, the scripture, um, as, as we'll see uh, later on. So, so he's trying to, um, to restrain uh, what they were pursuing above all else. Um, and he's trying to reorder what is important and how they actually go about their um, worship. Um, he says, if, if, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let them the first be silent. So um, those without tongue, those tongues without an interpreter, nope, you're to be silent. For those that have, have given a, a prophecy and then it's being weighed up and someone is going to, uh, to uh, give their judgment on that, that first person then, they're to remain silent. There's, there's to be order in that. For you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So what he's saying here is, listen, we're all under control. It's not like I just have this uh, uncontrollable, like out-of-body experience where my spirit just bursts out um, with uncontrollable tongues, and it's not my fault. It's just the spirit working through me. He says, "No, the 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 spirit of uh, we, we are we are we are our spirit is subject to us, and we are in control of what we are doing. And why? For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." as in all the saints, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, I want to stop there because this next section, obviously, um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about women in the church. But here, here's what I want us to move from, from 
Paul's emphasis on order to now his emphasis or, or the question really begs us, well, who gets to set the order? Um, if not everybody is allowed to do certain things, then who is in charge and who sets the order in that? And so now there's the question of authority. So who is in authority in these churches? Um, well, ultimately, that's God himself, right? It is the spirit of God. He is the one who has gifted uh, us. He's the one who has given us revelation through his word. And as we see through the scripture, what he does is give uh, churches a plurality of elders. Um, he gives uh, a, plurality, a plurality of elders, um, and those elders are men. And so there's a plurality of elders who are men, um, and those men are to lead um, as servant leaders. Um, now, this is really important because what Paul is going to say when he talks about authority um, He's going to exercise his apostolic authority and he's going to say certain things that if people don't agree with his apostolic authority, it's because they are wrong. And it's not the apostolic teaching that the New Testament church has been built upon. Um, and so what I want us to do is to just take a deep breath um, for a second, um, because when we hear words like submission, uh, when we start to talk about uh, the role of men and women. Um, what we can do is we can import all of our kind of culture into the text. And instead, what we have to do is take a deep breath, sit back, read our Bible as, as for what it is, um, the authoritative word of God, and for it to question us and not for us uh, to question it. And so we sit under the word of God. And so if the word of God bumps up, if we bump up against the word of God in ways that we feel uncomfortable or ways that we don't understand, or that doesn't seem to make sense, then we need to stop. We need to pause. And it's a great opportunity for you to study your Bible. And so the first rule of, of understanding the scripture is that the scripture interprets the scripture. The scripture is coherent. It doesn't contradict itself. Now, there are things that we might think that seems contradictory, but that's an opportunity for us to then pause and for us to, to try to make sense of that, not to just blow past that or go, well, they can't mean that. And I'm just going to I'm just going to believe what I uh, um, what my culture kind of tells me to believe. It's important for us to sit in silence, to listen, to press into, to ask the spirit to give us wisdom, to ask the spirit to give us clarity to look to the scriptures that he has given to us to reveal the very character and nature of God. Now, here's the thing with interpreting scripture. We believe that the scripture as it was given is completely perfect. It's, in, it's, it's without error. Um, but then we have the, the task of, of translating those from original languages into English languages, into modern languages. Uh, and, and that's difficult because in this kind of Koine Greek that's here, there's not a lot of punctuation in it. And so we're doing our best to try to figure out where certain sentences end as, as it makes coherent um, kind of sense. This is one of the, the places where there is some discrepancy of how does this text read? He makes this statement uh, in the text, as in all of the churches of the saints. So you can read that as, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Full stop. Then the next sentence. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. And he continues on. Or um, it's been interpreted, as it is in my Bible, ESV. Um, 
uh, as in all of the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. And so uh, which one is that? Well, in some ways it matters. And in some ways it, it, it's not super impactful. Here's where I think, uh, I don't think it can mean as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent, period. Women, it's a blanket ban for women not to speak in church. I, it can't be that because Paul in this very letter to the Corinthians, is, if you remember back in chapter 11, verse four, he, he is assuming, he says, when a woman comes to pray, when a woman prophesies in the church, she should do it this way. She should do it in an orderly way, just as, as uh, he is doing here. And I think what he's doing um, in this chapter is there's this rhythm that he's doing here. If you remember already, Women aren't the only ones that are to keep silent in this chapter. It's those that are trying to speak in tongues without an interpreter. They're to keep silent. Those who have prophesied, and now it's time uh, to, to weigh in on that, they're to keep silent. And it seems that there is a group of married women in this church that Paul is specifically concerned about, that they are to keep silent um, in, the, in the same kind of way, in the same way as it comes to weighing up um, and being disorderly. Um, so we've seen a woman can already pray. A woman can prophesy, um, in the gathering. It can't be this black, a blanket ban. He's already told other people to be silent in certain kind of ways. And so it seems there's a group of married women being disruptive. They're interrupting the gathering. They're causing disunity and distraction, um, probably around this weighing up prophecy sort of thing. And Paul says them to stop doing that. Um, and now is not the time for them to try to, assert authority, to usurp the authority of the elders in the church in that way, that they are to discuss that at home, um, that there is a way to behave in our gathering that doesn't buck up against the God-given authority, um, that we're to do that um, in, in the gathering in humility. Now, that doesn't mean that the elders have uh, complete authority over everybody's life. In fact, there's ways that the Bible says that if you think elders are out of order, which clearly they have been in the past, clearly there are pastors and elders that have misused their authority, that have abused their authority, uh, that are, are, are wolves uh, in sheep's clothing and not, and not actually uh, under shepherds of the sheep in that kind of way. Uh, and the Bible gives instructions on that, that we're to come to, to the elders uh, with a witness, two or three gathered together to bring your concerns and say, listen, I think this is this is out of line. This isn't in line with the scriptures. We see Paul doing that even with Peter saying, you're not walking in accordance with the gospel. And so um, our elders are here to serve. Uh, we are here to care for the flock. We are here to to feed the flock. Um, but we are sheep as well, um, doing that, doing that as, as under shepherds of the head shepherd, Jesus, in that kind of way. So we're not talking about some kind of executive board, um, this old boys club that are making all the decisions and just handing that out that are untouchable in any kind of way. And the only recourse I have, I guess, is to leave. Not at all. Um, we as elders want to be uh, open, approachable. We want to be, we are sheep among you uh, in the same way. And we want to be open and listening to the voice of God and, um, because he does, he speaks to all of us. I think this gift of prophecy is, is, is probably clustered with some teaching gifts, but it's not always the same. We want to hear what God is doing. The, the Spirit still speaks to us today. Is it on the same level as Scripture? No. 
There's been lots of so-called false prophets, and there still are today. Um, we have prophets who have come and have, have tried to affirm the scripture, but along with their prophecy, that prophecy that gets bound up in a book, you think of something like Mormonism or, or, or something like that, and then scripture uh, takes a backseat to that. That's not at all what, what uh, Paul is instructing here. The scripture comes first. In fact, we're to weigh all of these prophecies by the scripture. Um, because if it's the same spirit of God who's given us his word in the scripture, it's the same spirit of God who's, who's, who's speaking to his people and through his people, those things are going to be the same message. They're not going to differ. They're not going to be contradictory. And so we're to weigh those things up by the scripture. And so men, women have this gift of prophecy. Uh, the prophet Joel says so in the last days, your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Um, and so we want to hear from the Lord as we abide with him. It's why these devotionals that we're putting out um, are, are such an emphasis on that. Um, it's abiding with Jesus. It's hearing, his, hearing from his spirit. And sometimes that, meant, that means then communicating what we've heard. That might be to another person um, that the Lord has given me a word or I feel impressed that, uh, to say this. And sometimes it's not even helpful to frame that. Sometimes we can just, we can just say uh, what we feel like the Lord has given us. We don't need to have a thus saith the Lord. This prophecy is not like Old Testament prophecy. This isn't thus saith the Lord. I've heard directly from the Lord. Now, if you don't do what I've told you to do, there will be judgment. That's not, this is new covenant prophecy. And again, I don't, we don't have time to get into all this in, in the sermon that I wanted to today. Uh, we'll save some of that for Q&A if you want more uh, questions and clarity around that on Tuesday night, as well as we'll talk about some of the other kind of gifts. Um, but God has given us roles um, with our spiritual gifts, but also as men and women in that way. And so as elders of the church, it is our job um, to lead the church um, just as men lead their, their families, their wives at home. And how is that to be? What is Paul's instruction on how men should lead in the home? They should be the head of their wife, just as Jesus is the head of his church. So how does Jesus lead his church? Is it domineering? Is it abusive? Is it uh, punitive in any kind of way? No, it's not. Uh, Jesus leads us by laying down his life for us. And that's Paul's instruction. Husbands, you're to lay down your life. That's how you're to lead. Elders, you're to lead uh, by servanthood. Jesus has to uh, rebuke his disciples, right? Jesus, who's going to sit at your right hand? Should we call down fire? Should we do these sorts of things? Jesus is like, you do not understand the kingdom of God. And so when we hear these ideas of, of authority, of submission, I want us to be careful that we're thinking about those in the way that Paul uh, wants us to think about it, in the way that Jesus actually led. So when you think of uh, authority that we're to submit to, you should think of Jesus. Um, uh, that's, that's who us as, as elders are submitting to. Uh, alongside of that. So sometimes we can think of the worst case of abusive authority and we were like, I'm not submitting to that. That's not what you're called biblically to submit to. We're called to submit to um, biblical authority in that way. And biblical authority uh, is servant, servant-hearted authority. Um, it, it knows the truth. It stands firm on that as we'll see here in a second. Um, but it leads out of sacrificial love. Again, all of this in the context that Paul was driving to last week. It's all motivated and couched in love. Why is all this important? Why is, why is orderly worship important? Why does he assert his authority? Because he does do that, right? He says, um, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. 
Paul understands he's writing scripture uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit at this time. Um, he says that if, if anyone does not recognize, then he's not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be decently and in order. And, and that's where I want us to go to our third and final point. And, that, and this is really where we'll go next week. Why is all of this important? Why is all this instruction of orderly worship important? From the very beginning of this book all the way to, to where we are now, why is orderly worship, understanding our authority, using our gifts in the right way important? Well, look at verse 15, or chapter 15. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of what? What Paul is always reminding us of, the gospel. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins and according with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul wants us to have orderly worship because it's, it's in that, it's, it's an understanding our authority, uh, that comes from the Spirit, given to us by uh, uh, earthly leaders, um, and, and to, to gather the church together. Why? For the first important thing, that we would understand the gospel, because that's how we are being saved. Um, not just how we were saved at the beginning. Um, it's on which we stand, and it's why it's, it's how the, the church will grow. It's how the, the kingdom of God expands throughout the earth. As people hear the good news of, of Jesus, who's died who's buried, who is suspended and sits at the right hand of the Father today, offering us eternal life if we'll come to him. It's what we'll celebrate um, even now as you have bread and wine that are ready. Um, it's the gospel. It's what we come back to week after week after week. And so the point isn't our gifts and us getting to use our gifts. The point isn't I'm a man. I get to act as a certain kind of way or I'm a woman. I, I, I want to I, I act. No, the point is all of us coming together um, in the way that God created us as male and female, using our gifts in complementary ways, uh, ways that complement each other and that build up the body, that all of us are, are, uh, are, are receiving the love of Christ uh, from him as we see that from each other, as we're, as we're exercising our gifts, and that then that overflows out into the world, um, that people would hear the good news of Jesus, they would be invited into uh, this life in the spirit, that they would then receive gifts, that they would be able to be used as they are baptized into the body of Christ. All of this leading and pushing towards uh, Jesus coming again, coming again for his people. Um, when all of these things will be made super clear, where there won't be any disunity anymore, we won't be driven by motives that we don't even understand ourselves sometimes, unloving, selfish um, kind of motives. Um, we've all sinned uh, of that. Um, and so uh, my, my hope for us, um, as we've moved through this is as we move into Palm Sunday, as we move into Easter, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. This is ultimately what Paul's trying to do. They're so concerned about themselves. They're so concerned about the leaders they're aligning with. They're being selfish at the Lord's table. They're running roughshod over each other. Even as they're trying to minister, they're doing that and trying to elevate certain gifts uh, that they see more important. And Paul's trying to come in and correct all of this. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Um, and for their sake, 
because the gospel is still important to them and for the sake of the lost, because that's how they will be brought into the kingdom of God. And so may we readjust and realign ourselves where needed. May we be still and listen to the Holy Spirit correct us. May we push into and eagerly desire those gifts and ask, Lord, how is it that you want to use me? How do you get in me? What is my personality? What is my temperament? What are my passions? Um, what are the gifts that you are driving that I might be able to, to, out of love, serve my brothers and sisters, that I might be used to build up the kingdom of God? And be encouraged because you are. Um, we've really tried, um, and, and maybe I think this is an opportunity uh, during coronavirus and, and separation for more of the gifts of the church to rise uh, to the surface. Um, but we've really tried not to build uh, the church around, around me, certainly, as the primary teacher, uh, and pastor, not around our, our staff. We really do want um, uh, each of us uh, playing playing our part and to be able to celebrate that. And I think we need to do a better job of that, of being able to uh, to celebrate how people are using their gifts uh, and and so that those are seen more um, because so much of you, so many of you do use, use your gifts. It's one of the great privileges of being a pastor is getting a front row seat to see all of that kind of happening, um, to see you ministering to each other in your missional communities, to see you pastoring one another, discipling one another, correcting one another out of love, um, to, to use your gifts when we're scattered or in smaller kind of groups and as we gather together on Sunday. And so um, let's eagerly desire these things. Let's let's strive to understand them better and ask the spirit that he would um, uh, be manifestly present among us, um, that he would bind our hearts together. Um, and he does that as we come uh, to celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. Let me pray for us. Um, and then we will we'll do just that together. Um, as you have bread and wine um, with your family um, or, or who you're with uh, there, as you declare uh, the victory of Jesus is God's of uh, of Christ's body broken for us, His blood shed for us. As we taste and see that the Lord is good, um, and He is good to us through the gospel. He is good to us by gifting us uh, unique gifts through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for your love for us this morning. Your love that is demonstrated through um, what is of first importance: um, Christ coming to redeem us, to rescue us. Um, but he didn't, he didn't rescue us and just take us off the planet as soon as we've been converted. Uh, you've left us here as your people, as your hands and feet, as your mouth. Um, and you've gifted us with your spirit to accomplish um, your will, to accomplish your purposes, to, un, uh, to, un, un, to unveil the mysteries of the gospel. Um, to, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our colleagues, our co-workers. Um, and so, Father, we thank you for that. Um, Father, I pray that you would make us see more of Jesus and less of ourselves. When we think about how we can be used, that it wouldn't be about us, that it would be about others, that it would be about pleasing you um, and, uh, and stewarding the gifts that you have given us well, um, that we wouldn't waste those, that we wouldn't use them in ways uh, that are are. Uh, that you haven't given them to us for. And Father, I pray even during this time of physical um, distance that your spirit would bind us together, um, that we would feel each other's spiritual presence um, because we have the same spirit in us. And so while we're separated by a camera lens, um, we're not together physically to, uh, to come to the table together. Um, Father, there are times where Paul couldn't be with his people. 
He can, the church was scattered apart. They couldn't be together in the same way. And so, Father, may we feel that today, all of the things that we're frustrated with um, in ways that uh, we might not be able to use our gifts in normal kind of ways as we're gathered. Father, would you reveal to us ways that we can still use those, that we can still love and minister to one another, um, and that we would do that in ways that are pleasing to you, O oh Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.